Welcome to 99 Yards, American football for UK fans. I am your host, Lisbon Dari, and this week I am joined by Duncan Terry, Shona Duthie, Ryan Conway, as well as very special guest, Nat Coombs. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good. Um, Nat, it's great to have you along on our pod. How's your season going? Did you enjoy the International Series? It's good to be here, Liz. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, I, I, I can't really think straight because we're recording this uh, the <laughs> day after the freight train that was Monday Night Football, which oh God, I watched yeah. and then had about <laughs> seven minutes sleep, like the old days, and then uh, had to get up and, and write my uh, column for The Times, which I'm amazed I filed in any kind of coherent form <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> so uh, I am in good spirits, but a bit bit tired. And yeah, no, I love the international series. Um once again, uh, it delivered. Well, the first game was a blowout, obviously, but the other two were, were compelling, if not vintage, weren't they? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they were good. I didn't <laughs> the first game, personally. I liked the blowout. <laughs> you like the blowout? Are you a Seahawks yeah. fan? I am, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Actually, there's um, three Seahawks fans on this call right now. What? What <laughs> is going on? I've been ambushed. <laughs> uh okay well that well that was a big i mean to be fair i was at the um i was at the gruden presser on the friday so on the friday i did it was such a stark contrast right so i was with the seahawks earlier in the day and i did an interview with tyler lockett who is a a a thoroughly splendid chap and they were just composed and together and organized at one point pete carroll walked past uh what had a look at the interview and you could just feel his energy from about 50 feet away (laughs) it's just this ball of uh pete carroll goodness just rolled on past and then you contrast that with the the raiders who decided to start their press conference about 15 minutes early with despite no one being ready for this so you had this absolutely chaotic scramble uh where you know cameramen were trying to set up the sound guy the poor sound guy who was miking this the, the podium wasn't ready and Gruden just rolled up and started taking questions it was just absolutely uh chaotic so after that I could pretty much tell how that game was going to go yeah I also um got to interview Pete Carroll um oh nice he, he didn't understand what I was saying because I'm Scottish so it was quite fun so I had to get the American <laughs> guy to, trans- to translate it for me <laughs> brilliant uh, so how did, but he's I mean at, at the start of the season uh, and I'd be interested in your perspectives, guys, if you're Seahawks fans. I thought they were being really underestimated. Uh, no one was taking them seriously. And everyone seemed to be talking about the beginning of the end for, for Carol. But, I mean, it's gone pretty well, hasn't it, so far? I've got a real mix of opinions on this pod. I'm very yeah. much entrenched in the uh, they haven't actually beaten anyone with a winning record yet. Let's not count our horses. And I, I don't think uh, you like my negativity, dear Shona. No, it's too negative, Don. Come on, right? At the start of the season, everyone was saying Seahawks are guaranteed number one spot for the draft next year, which I thought was absolutely crazy because we're not the Raiders. Um, and I was right. We're not going to be the number one spot next year. And I actually I actually don't mind how, how we've done. Yeah, maybe we haven't beat anyone with a winning record. We're kind of like in the middle of the road. But for a rebuilding year, I'd rather be in the middle of the road um, compared to like where the Cardinals and the Raiders are at the moment. But you yeah. almost beat the Rams twice. I mean, you could conceivably have won either of those, both of those games. Uh, yeah, I'm still disappointed about that. The Rams don't exist to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so in this week's episode, we'll be talking about who is in and who is out of the playoff picture. 
as well as interview ex-rugby union, now Pitt's big stealer, Christian Scotland Williamson. But first, let's look at this week's Thanksgiving games. Duncan, what do you make of Lions' chances this year? Well, I, uh, I I grabbed this fixture because uh, I've spent many a Thanksgiving night watching disappointedly as year after year they they just capitulated against whoever they were playing, and uh, I really enjoy watching the, uh, the Lions on Thanksgiving. Uh, Calvin Johnson was a was a massive highlight, um, but this year, I mean, it's all gone downhill again, hasn't it? They were competing, they were there thereabouts, and then they traded Golden Tate, and I really didn't understand that. It was like they were giving up, you know, while they were still a factor um and they've really gone downhill since they've had some injuries you know fair enough but you know the o-line looks a mess and matthew stafford is not playing as well as he could and then you've got the bears who they're on the up they're looking like really competitive in their division and their young players are really stepping up uh, roquan smith and anthony miller are the, are the latest uh, young names so i actually fear another blowout on thanksgiving for the lions and that it might be a close race in the NFC East this year. What do you think of the crucial Redskins-Cowboys fixture? I think the Giants are still going to win it. <laughs> <laughs> having uh, having tipped them as my dark horse at the start of the season, I'm <laughs> clinging on for dear life. Uh, I I mean, it's a really interesting division, isn't it? Um, That's see, one word to describe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No one wants to. But I, like, I always <laughs> like those divisions every year that are, uh, are probably the weakest, but as a result of that, the most compelling, right? So no one wants to win it. Um, I think the Cowboys are probably in the box seat now, aren't they? I mean, like, I, 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 we were talking about it on um, on my pod on Monday uh, when we recorded that episode about um, how much of a downgrade it is to Colt McCoy. I think it's quite a big downgrade, but there was a sort of division of opinion there. I guess that's what this, did, this re- revolves on, and whether, you know, McCoy, like all good backups, can be half decent for a small sample size of games and then uh, and then it all falls off a cliff you know like Ryan Fitzpatrick is the is the prototype for that right so i don't know i think the cowboys might be you know might win it with a 9 and 7 record oh no nah, you've disappointed me cuz seeing jerry jones happy is not good yeah that is a really good point i mean <laughs> every bone in my body hopes they don't <laughs> but i think yeah. uh, but i think they might and i like i quite like amari cooper as well i hope that i hope it works out for him seeing as every single person in the world was absolutely laying into that trade and i think i was in a very vocal uh, minority of uh, maybe it wasn't as bad a deal as um as it perhaps was suggested but uh, you know i'll be I, I don't know i'd like to see a murray cooper deal and see kelly is just so so bloody good he deserves something going on there so you know but jerry jones you're right is the yang to that ying <laughs> he is indeed yeah <laughs> and shona the saints and falcons they're renewing their rivalry um what are we going to get from the Falcons this week? Oh, it's an interesting one because at the beginning of the season, I would have thought this would be a lot closer in terms of uh, their record than it is. You know, Falcons are now four and six. And if I remember rightly, Ryan, you'll like this. Uh, the last time a team managed to make the playoffs after going four and six was the Green Bay Packers in 2016. But Matt Ryan is not Aaron Rodgers. Um, so... I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting. Well, I I see Saints winning. You know, they've they've just scored forty over forty points against a, a Super Bowl champion, which is the first time that's happened since the NFL began. So um, yeah, it's I I hope the Falcons' defense can turn up, and I hope their offense can turn up. But I can't see past the Saints. You know, just 
going go for it and getting another win under their belt. But yeah, I think Atlanta is just struggling since that Super Bowl, which I know is like taboo to mention anywhere. <laughs> Earlier this week, I was lucky to speak to fellow Brit, former rugby union star and current Pittsburgh Steeler, Christian Scotland Williamson, where we discussed life in the NFL and the opportunity that he's been given to show what he has to offer to the world of American football. Let's hear what you had to say. Now, Christian, you've been on quite the journey. You started off playing rugby union for the Worcester Warriors, and now here you are on the practice squad for the Steelers as tight end. Now, my understanding of the international player pathway is that it identifies athletes from around the world who show potential talent to play NFL at the highest level. Could you perhaps tell me how this opportunity came around for you? Um, So it's actually an interesting one. So I hadn't really thought about the prospect of playing American football properly. So I was playing uh, rugby in the Premiership for Worcester. Um, I was going into my free agent year. I was playing really well. And I had one big hit that went viral in the UK. And then that (laughs) had my name mentioned in the right circles. And then from that, even in the locker room, and um, my brother actually went to college in America to play basketball. After that hit, he had people in America saying, oh, you need to... um, try and give American football a go like why haven't you why haven't you played that and obviously being from the UK it's not really on your doorstep so it's quite hard to seek out opportunities to play American football so then after I think three weeks of that tackle um, some people who were involved with Alex Gray um, who obviously is with the Falcons on practice squad is that first year of that international pathway program got in touch with me and kind of explain the opportunity and if I was able to make myself available and wanted to pursue it if I had the raw um, the raw tools to actually make a go of it then it would be worth talking about so I met up with a few people and decided to to quit my job get out of my contract <laughs> playing rugby with Worcester I was fortunate enough that they were very understanding understood my reasons for pursuing this um, because it really is a once in a lifetime opportunity especially yeah. Um, having never played college football or high school football, it's rare enough to get a shot at the NFL, let alone having never played before. Um, so that's kind of how it came about. Brilliant. And and what are your hopes and aims now that you are on the international player pathway? What What's next? So at the moment, it's about learning as much as possible. So I can't actually play this season. I can't get activated, but I was fortunate enough to play in all four preseason games. Um, so it's been a learning experience. Every day I'm learning new things. I'm going up against some great opposition. Um, I'm fortunate enough that uh, being in such a great organization with such talented players, it means that you upskill very quickly because the guys you're going up against are the very best. Um, so if you can manage to block or make plays against those guys, then you're doing well. Now let's talk around the switch from rugby union to American football. How have you had to change your physique and fitness to adapt to the demands of American football? And secondly, how different is the game from a mental preparation point of view? Um, so both are pretty different. I'd say the mental side is the most different. Um, physically, it's just getting used to a lot more explosive movements. Um, so with rugby, you, I was used to running, say, five to six kilometers um, per game and per practice session. And the training sessions were probably an hour, an hour and a half. Um, whereas over here, training is a bit longer. So practice can last up to two and a half hours. And you probably cover 
a similar distance but it's all maximum intensity sprints so that did take some getting used to initially because as you'd imagine um when you're used to kind of longer distance running which isn't as intense uh things like your your hamstring your groin and stuff like that tightens up quite quickly but that was okay i got used to that probably by the end of otas and got used to the flow of practice but the mental side is by far the most challenging i'd say it's probably 80 percent mental um in terms of the transition because with rugby you have a very brief skeleton or overview where you have a few plays because it's such a free-flowing game uh, and there's less room for intervention. You can't really script as much and it's uh, you have to rely on the athlete making decisions on the field, whereas with American football, because you can script every single play, yeah. it's almost like uh, running intermittent sprints and having a test at the end of every rep uh, because you have to be able to recall what the play is, where you have to line up your assignment and then go and execute at full speed. And obviously the playbook is so vast and say if you get to the line and you have to change the call and make an audible, you have to be able to process that within two or three seconds and then execute at full speed. Whereas with rugby, you kind of take yourself into that dark hole when it gets to 60 to 70 minutes and you kind of hang on and then just rely on your instincts. So it's much more challenging mentally being in the NFL. And the position that you play is tight end. Is that a position that you chose or is it more an area that the coaches felt you'd be strongest in? I think it's some it's an area that uh, uses a lot of my skills. So with rugby, you obviously play both sides of the ball and you have to catch, pass, uh, tackle. So I think the, the hardest part of playing tight end at the moment is the blocking uh, because in rugby, you, you don't have to do any of that. It's nothing um, remotely close to that where you have to concentrate on your footwork, your hand placement and exploding off the ball and then being able to kind of overpower your opposite man. So that is still taking some getting used to and it's it's a learning curve. And what does a typical day look like for you? Perhaps you can guide me through your daily routine. Okay, so um, if we start from a Monday, so Monday after a game, I'll probably come in to the building around 11am and I'd have a run and a lift. Then you'd have following meetings uh, for about two, two to three hours. And then you'd probably leave the building. So that'd be all of your review from uh, the previous game and trying to get all of that kind of admin out of the way so that when you report back on a Wednesday, uh, you can start game planning for the opposition for the coming week. Then on the Wednesday, it's our heavy pad day. So that's our main work day with most of our installs. Um, so I probably get to the building around quarter to seven, have a lift until 8 and then I'll be in meetings from 8 until 11.30 then on the field from 12.15 to about 3 and then you'd have meetings after that too um, and Thursday looks very much the same except without pads and then Friday is a fast Friday where uh, you have an early practice where you're on the field at 10.45 for around 2.5 hours still and then you wouldn't have too many meetings after Obviously, you mentioned earlier you signed with a squad earlier this year, and no doubt the co- the coaches are working closely with you to develop you to be the best player that you could be. Have you found a mentor within the team, a player perhaps, that has taken time to teach and mould you as a player? Um, I, th- I wouldn't say it's one player in particular. Um, I'd say I try and learn from everyone. So whether it's even asking a lot of the offensive linemen about blocking techniques, because obviously that's what they do is their main priority for for a living so i've also got a great tight end room so i've got vance mcdonald jesse james xavier grimble to all learn from so it's more 
wherever I need help, I'll just ask the best person. Um, so I'd say it's more trying to just learn from everyone and pick up things as I go. And when it comes to game day, um, are the practice squad there on the sidelines? Yes. Yeah. So we'll report about two hours before kickoff and um, we'll be on the sideline with the team during the whole game. So that's a very exciting part. Yeah, absolutely. And was American football um, a sport that you were already a fan or following at all before you made the move? Uh, funny enough, I was actually a Steelers fan. Um, oh, that's cool. Uh, before, yeah. So uh, I'd always been a Steelers fan. If anyone asked me what my team was, I'd always say Steelers. <laughs> so to actually end up in the building is extremely surreal. Um, so it was one of those where obviously now with Sky's coverage and uh, Red Zone and things like that, it's much more available. The London games, obviously, uh, you can see a lot more of the NFL presence in Europe and in the UK in particular. But when I was, say, 10, 11, you only really saw playoff games occasionally or the Super Bowl yeah. because it was on, at such awkward times. And obviously, you might have school or things like that. But yeah. um, I'd say in the last five years, obviously, the attention has just grown exponentially in the UK. So uh, it's made it easier for people to be fans. Absolutely. And um, is there a player at all across the league that you aspire to be like? And if so, who is it and why? Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think because of, because of my body type, I think I'm one of the, the biggest in my position in the league. So it's quite hard to find that direct comparison. Um, but you always try and just look at different people's styles and, and try and cherry pick different things that they do well. So obviously, um, the tight end of the league is uh, Rob Gronkowski. But then if you look at what Vance McDonald's doing in our building, he's running over people the whole time. So if I could try and be a bit more like Vance and then have uh, a solid blocking base, then you'd be doing well well that was incredible Christian it's it's great to hear your story so far and I've got to say I'm super excited for your future as well I genuinely wish you all the best um, and thanks again for taking the time to speak with me and Joe thanks for helping set it up as well <laughs> thanks a lot I'm sure you'll agree that was interesting stuff um, Nat Ryan what do you think of the player pathway scheme that has seen players like Christian Alex Jenkins Effie Oboda move to the NFL Christian Wade appears to be the next guy heading over. Could other high-profile players follow suit? I think it's a really good, uh, a really, really good initiative and idea, especially when you've seen um, we've seen people like Discus Thrower, Lawrence um, Okoye has, has tried his, his hand at the NFL and he's flamed out, um, just unable to to adapt and sort of you know mutate to the sport so quickly, and, and not all of it is is his fault. And they didn't have this this scheme in place when Okoye was was trying to make it in the NFL, this makes it, you know, well, it's not easy at all, but it makes it, you know, easier. It gives them a, a better a better chance, I think. Um and to to get to make it more of a I guess a global sport, more global representation. I mean there were sixty nine athletes representing thirty countries last year and that's um per football reference. Uh, you know, with them ex expanding all the time it's it's a good thing to have this it, i think it is a good thing to have it yeah i couldn't agree more i think it's uh i think it's great uh, because you know talent is nothing without opportunity as they say and the i mean I, i've spoken with christian as well alex gray is a, is another guy out there who's a sevens player he's um with the falcons on on their practice squad as well and you know these guys are really really uh focused on the rapid and pretty intense uh education they're going on so and it isn't just physical 
but obviously mental as well. But what Alex said that was really interesting was that he's a tight end like Christian. And he was saying that that is one of the more complex positions to learn. And I would have thought because you see a lot of basketball players try, you know, um, move over. So uh, Antonio Gates, you know, maybe the most notable of all, he was a, he was a basketball player originally. And then obviously, um, you know, turned his attention in college to football and, and the rest is history. Right. And you thought, okay, maybe that's a position then that athletes can transition more quickly. But Alex was saying that given uh, the, what I've got to be reading and picking up, it's actually a really complex position to, to learn. So, it's it's so impressive that these guys are doing that and, and blazing a trail really also it's worth throwing into this conversation phoebe Schechter, who yeah. um i'm sure a lot of your listeners will know all about but but those that don't it is with the buffalo bills at the moment uh on a coaching internship and phoebe's a, a player too and captain the uh, the british ladies team but also uh, obviously is is, is uh, turning a hand to coaching and she has been uh, given opportunity uh, and grabbed it with, uh, you know, with both hands. And she was telling me the this the rate of uh, the rate of learning and the pressure that anybody who hasn't been born into it in, in instinctively and intuitively has got to accelerate is is a huge challenge. But the NFL teams, the number of them anyway, are, are open to it. So I think it's win win, right? The players, uh, the teams rather aren't taking a massive gamble. You know, Christian and the guys are a bonus roster spot. Uh, on the practice squad so you know there's a, a small financial implication but you know why don't they chance their arm and see if they can develop a, a player so when that learning does get up to scratch are they gonna are they gonna be uh, a, a decent player on the roster and i think a number of them will and i think we'll only see more players following suit yeah, yeah. i was gonna say I think, I think the important thing which nat just outlined is that the roster spot reserved for for these guys coming off that the uh the scheme is is uh, you know, it's exclusive to that initiative. It's not part of the of the practice squad, and that that's sort of imperative to get teams to buy in. I think because it, it, you're you're taking such a big risk, and you don't want to fill up your practice squad with someone who you you know might not pick it up. So I think the fact that you get one spot for these players is is really important. It's a really important sort of bargaining chip for the teams to have as as well. Yeah, that's a really good, really you know, good point. And I guess we've got to remember the lack of or the absence of nfl europe right which was such a and people always go on about nfl europe well it wasn't really successful because it was the b game and fans didn't really yeah and that's probably true in that respect you know we are, are, are lucky to be born in this generation where we're getting the a game you know three four times a, a season and it's obviously uh, you know far superior in that respect but you talk to any nfl uh, coach or front office guy and they bemoan the 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 loss of nfl europe because it was such a brilliant developmental league for coaches as much as players you know and yeah kurt warner and all those incredible success stories but a lot of coaches and you just look at the the cvs of the head coaches in the nfl now cut their teeth in in europe with franchises and the absence of that is a problem i think for the nfl i think i wonder whether they'll tackle that in some way not reinstating nfl europe but creating some kind of developmental league that is um that i think is sorely lacking at the moment yeah, I think that will be quite interesting to see if, if it, it does go down that route, like you say. Um, I think it's impressive the fact that we, A, get the games here and that we have the development programme in the first place. I think it, you know, it shows that it is serious. We do think about it and we've got talent to give. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a really good point, Liz. That if you, I remember when, so the first season I covered NFL, um, 
as a broadcaster was 2007, which was the first year of the uh, international series game, of course. And we were out in the States quite a lot that year because we were doing a lot of regular season games from there at the time. And well, some anyway, and so many of the Americans were just, and these are guys inside the game, right? (laughs) Were utterly bemused, um, cynical, uh, just taking the mickey about it all. And you think how far that has come now where you had, uh, you know, NFL Network's breakfast show here all week. Um, yeah. Greg and, and the Around the NFL boys absolutely loving it. And it's just uh, and everybody. Well, that's an exaggeration. Most <laughs> uh, most people now uh, are treating it as a as a standard and as a given. And I think when we start to see that with players going the other way where it isn't a curiosity and it isn't strange it's just yeah yeah he used to play rugby and now you know like these 25 other guys before him you know that's when we'll know that it's been a success uh, i was gonna say I, I think what's interesting for me is uh how this affects rugby from their point of view and it's you know it might be more for a rugby podcast but uh, you've got players <laughs> in the british leagues going to france for for a, for a payday you've just seen finn mm-hmm. russell leave uh, he's one of the bigger players in scotland um, one of the Armitage brothers played most of his career in France, despite the fact that England won't pick players playing abroad. And now you've got Christian Wade leaving, who's one of the biggest stars in the Premier League. Um, I wonder about like the effect it's going to have on rugby union. You know, it's 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 going to be interesting to watch. I think the knock-on effect of rugby league is interesting as more players go from league to union as well mm. and coaches. Let's take a mini break to talk about fantasy football. This week, I am joined by our dynamic duo, Chris Milner and Richard King. How are you both? I'm pretty, yeah, very good. Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, so let's hear what you've got for our audience this week. Okay, so um, starting at quarterback, I think one great start would be uh, Baker Mayfield for the Cleveland Browns. Um, he's not owned in too many leagues. He's uh, 41% on Yahoo, 38% on ESPN. Um, and I just think he's got a pretty good matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. They get, currently give up the second most points to the position, and I think that with the players that he's got in town, uh, Baker's got a brilliant ceiling and not a bad floor either. So that's that's my selection at quarterback. Yep, good pick. Uh, divisional game as well, so obviously a chance to ball out. I'm going with another divisional rivalry. I've got Eli Manning against the Eagles. Uh, Eagles give up sixth most fantasy points against quarterbacks and second most against wide receivers. So I'm hoping for Eli to keep his uh, perfect passer streak rolling on for this week. And then moving on, I've I've uh, got Marlon Mack as my running back start. I just think that the way that Andrew Luck is playing at the moment means that the Colts are they're just on fire and Marlon Mack is he's the lead back in a in an offense where he's going to be catching a lot of passes so if you're in any type of league that rewards points for receptions he's a fantastic play against Miami Dolphins yep definitely Dolphins give up fifth most uh, fantasy points to the position another good pick I'm going with breakout guy from last week Gus Edwards um, for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, he's playing against the Raiders, who give up the sixth most um, for running backs. So Edwards and Mack this week for running backs. For wide receiver, I I was kind of struggling to narrow it down to one, so I'm actually going to cheat and say two. Um, <laughs> so I've got Anthony Miller, who was you know he, he's the he's the second receiver in Chicago, but Anna Robinson's going to be taking the attention of Darius Slay. And recently, the Detroit Lions have really struggled defending the pass. And my second one had a bit of a disappointing week last week. 
and I always struggle to pronounce his name, but it's um, Marquez Valdez Scandling. Um, yeah, he had a really disappointing week last week, but with Jimmy Graham out of the lineup, I think he's just got an opportunity to, to ball out, really. I mean, just last week, one one reception for eight yards. It's not really a, an indication of his talent. The guy's talented. He's in an offense where he's getting the ball from Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks in the game. So I'd put him in there. I've, I've actually got him in a few leagues, so I'm, I'm going to be starting him this week, even against the, the Vikings. Well, I'll, I'll cheat as well, just because I agree with the Anthony Miller pick, because I also was thinking Anthony Miller. And then I saw that Mitch Trubisky is dealing with a shoulder injury, so hopefully on a short week turnaround, he'll be okay um, on Thanksgiving against the Lions. But yeah, I think Miller's a good pick. Um, also, Traycon Smith against the Falcons. Um, Kingy thought this was a bit of an obvious choice, but uh, he's still currently not owned in the you know, more than about 66% of league. So if you are looking for that playoff push now and you need a decent flex and he's still available in your league, throw money at him to get him um, because he's going up against the Falcons pass defense, give up the third most fantasy points to the position. Um, and obviously the even better quarterback, Drew Brees, throwing to him. Sorry, mate. Uh, no, that's fine. I mean, uh, to, to be honest, the only reason why, as I said, I think it's obvious is because if he's available, you sh- you should have already added into your team uh he's he's the type of guy who this late in the season is he could literally win your league for you yep um so yeah absolutely great pick um moving on to the, the grossness that is the tight end position um <laughs> i've i've got the denver broncos tight end jeff hoyerman um reason being he's in a home matchup against pittsburgh who they're not great at defending the position but they're not awful um Twelfth, in case anyone was wondering, the number. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they're kind of mid-table, so it's eight point seven points uh, a game. But he, I just think with the way that the offensive line's playing, and with Thomas leaving town, you see he gets a lot of dump offs from Case Keenum, and I think against Pittsburgh, where Case Keenum's going to be getting a lot of pass rush coming his way, he's going to be looking for that little dump off. So. Again, if you're in any type of league that rewards anything for receptions, I think he's a good add. And he's also really high, highly used in the red zone. His touchdowns don't actually reflect that, but he is he gets a lot of targets in the red zone. Okay, well, my one to close it out is going to be Seattle tight end. Shout out to Shona. Uh, Ed Dixon. <laughs> Got a touchdown last week. He's going up against the Panthers, who are the worst in the league against defending against tight ends. Um, and, yeah, you never know. Could be a flyer. Um, also, if I'm going to cheat, I might go on the back of your Mayfield pick earlier in this uh, segment, uh, David Njoku uh, against the Bengals. Um, that's my other one. Yeah, I think they're, but they're both fantastic. Ed, Ed Dixon is one of those guys who... Seems like he's just sprung out of nowhere um, after after the Seattle bye week. He just seems like he's scoring touchdowns or he's getting a lot of yards. I mean, I can't see he's going to be very very highly owned. I mean, he's as I'm looking now, he's four percent on Yahoo and three percent on ESPN. Uh, and I, so you can pick him up. I, I wouldn't even say you need to pick him up on waivers. I think you probably pick him up as a free agent after waivers have cleared. Um, but yeah, in this year at tight end, unless you've got one of those big big names, and by that I mean Travis Kelsey or Zach Ertz pretty much exclusively, then you're looking to stream because it's kind of touchdown or bust. 
Agreed. Thanks for that, guys. Um, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate the insight, and we'll hear more from you next week. So still with us, we have Shona, Duncan, Ryan and Nat, and I thought perhaps with this next one we could have a little fun. Without mentioning any cutlery for fear of being sued by Dan Hansis, I'm going to give each of you some teams, and I want you to tell me if you think their season is over and why. But I'm not going to make this one easy. Let's start this one with you, Shona. Seattle Seahawks. No, it's not over. Never <laughs> over. It's not over until Pete Carroll says so. <laughs> I mean, if you is think that how it works? That's how it works. On, thir- on Thursday night, right, we beat the Packers 27-24 at home. And that was not only the good thing. We're now 5-5. We, every result on Sunday kind of went our way. So um, Atlanta, Carolina, the Eagles, and Minnesota all lost. And they're all people that we um, are going to be competing against for that wildcard spot. Um, if you go into it a little bit, a little bit more detail, um, several lost teams that we've already beat. So Dallas beat the Falcons, Detroit beat the Panthers. We beat both of them, and the Vikings have lost to the Bears. Now we did lose to the Bears, but if Bears win um, their division in the NFC North, that means we're going to be still to play the, the Vikings at home. I believe it's at home. I have to double check that. Um, <laughs> and um, that could be a game we could win. As opposed to the Bears, because obviously they would have a tiebreaker on us. The season is not over yet. I, I, we're like, you know, a dark horse, I think, for the playoff spot. I'm sure Duncan would disagree with me. But if the Colts can be a wild card, a dark horse for the wild card spot, then so can we. And Duncan, now be careful given who's on the pod. The Green Bay Packers. Yes, Ryan. Um, <laughs> sorry about this. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. I, I forgive you already. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to declare their season over, uh, not because of anything other than I don't think their coach understands exactly what they have and how to use them. Uh, Rogers obviously is an all-world talent. Uh, he's, he's amazing. Some of those throws the other night against the Seattle Seahawks were just incredible. Um, Aaron Jones looks like such a player, and you must be excited to see him for the next five to ten years. Um, he got some real. Great young players on defence, not least Kenny Clark, who I'm really impressed by. You've still got Clay Matthews and you know, some real great pieces. But somehow, somewhere, something's going wrong. And I think for all his great service for the Super Bowl that he brought them, I think you know he should be applauded for so long, for, for an you know, incredible amount of time. But it might be time that he, he moved on and let someone else take the reins in a league that's really changing in, in coaching, uh, coaching terms. And for that reason, given the, the competition in their division as well, the Vikings and, and the Bears, I think their season may be done. Yeah, that, that, seems, that seems pretty fair. I also think that the, the very obvious tension between Rodgers and McCarthy isn't helping. And Aaron Rodgers, while he's still making all-world you know, throws and plays, he, he actually isn't playing that well, I, I don't believe. Um, you know, the, the third and two against Seattle, the, the rub route they have with, with Adams, he, he just has, has to hit that. And he he's missing a lot of open throws. Um, yeah, he, he is part of the problem. By no means is he the entire problem. I believe without him, we're probably a two-win team, as in two wins throughout the season. The roster isn't particularly great. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think if we lose against Minnesota, Minnesota we're, we're definitely done. And Nat, how about the Miami Dolphins? Oh, how about the Miami Dolphins? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I've just... 
you know, as uh, Dolphins fans listening will um, will sympathise with, just uh, have, I have succumbed to a life of uh, mediocrity. I mean, the Dolphins are, at least when I was a kid and I, and I stupidly chose the Dolphins as my team, they, you know, had flashes of excitement. They had Marino, for God's sake. You know, there was something to live for. But it's, um, you know, I, I thought it was all going to be different with Adam Gaze. And I thought, you know... It, and it looks so promising, but here we are again, just a 500 team again. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And looking at our <laughs> schedule, um, I think it, I might actually put some money on this. I think we're going to finish eight and eight, which is just unbelievable. So we've got, um, we've got the bills twice. Uh, and I know with the bills this season, who the hell knows, but let's assume we, uh, we get a couple of wins there. We've got the Patriots and the Vikings. We'll probably lose those. And then I think we'll split, one of the Colts and Jags. So I think we're going to finish eight and eight again, which, um, uh, you know, if things couldn't have got worse from the uh, Jay Cutler era <laughs> that we all uh, remember so fondly, um, Brock Osweiler, of course, is uh, our, our chief protagonist of recent weeks, which is just, you know, going from the sublime to, to the ridiculous. I, um, I don't know. I wasn't totally sold on, on Adam Gaze. Uh, and at, and that's easy to say that at the moment because things aren't exactly working out. And I sympathize with him because I just don't think we've got a, a particularly talented <laughs> roster. But uh, he, I quite like the fact he's pretty demonstrative and no nonsense and kind of cleans house. He's done that with a number of players. But I wonder whether he's, when you're a head coach and you do that and then things don't change dramatically, whether you really weaken your hand. And I'm worried that's maybe what what has happened there but i think in answer to <laughs> you your question uh i think you can almost count on the fact that we won't make the playoffs again and if we do we're going to squeak in in the sixth seed and just be humiliated in the wild card round so <laughs> 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 hope we don't make it but i'll you know still love him i'll still love him now as a uh, as a as a fellow west ham fan in terms of sporting oh, yeah. i feel your pain oh man i tell you what i uh, will firstly come on your irons and secondly yeah i mean i have inflicted uh a huge actually the one the one saving grace which changed in recent years but can you imagine so my baseball team is the cubs so can you imagine up to a couple of years ago talk about the unholy trifecta of <laughs> teams to pick but at least the cubs have won something now so there's you know at least i've seen a win but uh yeah that's a, it's a, it, amazing how similar west ham and miami are it really is and ryan how about the five and five Bengals? Y- y- yeah um yeah, they're, <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're sort of, they are where I expected them to be, you know, 500 at this stage. Their schedule is actually quite interesting because it's it's not it's not too difficult. They play the Browns next, then the Broncos, um, but they also finish up with two away games at the Browns and at the Steelers. Uh, conversely, they are also the Ravens in the, the division who... I think currently have the sixth seed. Yes, and Cincinnati have got the seventh seed, if if you will. Um, the Ravens have got some brutal, brutal yeah. road games left. They go to Atlanta in week 13. They then go to KC uh, the week after. And then week 16, they go to the Chargers. That is not good for the Ravens. So that as, as long as Cincinnati can win when the Ravens drop a game, then I think they'll they'll get in. The other interesting one for me is the Texans because I don't really think they're playing that well and they currently hold the division lead and subsequently uh, the fourth seed. But the Colts 
I honestly think the Colts could win out and go 11-5. and five. If that's the case, then they'll take that division, I believe. And then you're looking at what the Texans' record is for the wild card. They're currently 7-3, and three, but not really playing well, but winning. Um, Andy Dalton kind of is what I expect him to be. You know, 20 TDs, 10 picks. Um, they're an okay team. If they are going to get in the wild card spot, I think they're going to have to go to Pittsburgh and beat Pittsburgh because I, I really do think that that final uh, that final wild card spot will come down to to week uh, week seventeen. I totally agree with you on the Texans. So uh, you look at their this streak that everyone's talking about. Look at the teams they've beaten, and I know you can only beat who's put in front of you, but the teams they've beaten the form those teams were in when the Texans played them and how close a number of those games were, right? So they played the Cowboys, they won that in overtime, the yeah. Bills, the Jags, who had been, you know, with a few exceptions, hopeless this season, the Dolphins, I think we've covered them, uh, the Broncos, they sneaked by two points, and the Redskins and Alex Smith went down and, and Colt McCoy came in. So you've really got to take that that run with a massive dose of salt, I think. And I agree completely with you. I think the Texans are wildly overrated. And I, I, the Colts, I mean, Paolo Bandini on our pod, uh, much to our amusement at the start of the season, picked the Colts for the playoffs. And we all <laughs> we all took, uh, we all. this is a family show, so we all took the mickey out, <laughs> out of him. And, uh, <laughs> the, um, and now he's having the last laugh, I think. And we were, you know, we were looking at exactly the same point you just made, that their running is it's quite favorable, you know. And the Titans are, unbelievably deceptive in terms of uh, are they good or not? I'm not really sure. I think the Colts are a decent decent bet for that division. Yeah, absolutely. And I think then that obviously puts the, the Texans in trouble and the Titans in, in trouble as well. So yeah. it, it's Cincinnati have got an okay running, but they, they just have to make sure that you know that they basically win the games that you believe they should win, which I believe are the Browns, Broncos, Raiders and Browns again. The the charges at the charges and at the Steelers, you've got to you've got to you've got to split those ideally I think. <laughs> but again, it's it's just so tight. I feel a bit sorry for the Titans on Sunday. I, I know they are one of those teams that are um, you don't know if they're actually good or not. But their DC went out in the first quarter. DC. Yeah, sure. I know he, I know he's all right now, but I, that that would have a massive effect on you. I think in, in a game. Yeah, it reminded really me when. Good- um, um, sorry, it was I cannot remember. I think Gary Kubiak when he was yep. at Houston. Houston, that's right. Yeah. Um, weirdly, I remember watching uh, you and uh, Mike Carlson on on Channel Four at, at the time. Yeah. Uh, that. But yeah, that that was a very odd game because it, the atmosphere was just completely sucked from that team. You you could see that their their mind rightly just wasn't on you know the the task at hand. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point, Shona. Actually, and and I, I suppose I wasn't necessarily relating just kind of recency bias to this weekend just gone but i think you know that i can't work out their offense essentially and yeah, <laughs> yeah not only did dean peace go down but obviously when you got blaine gabbert in there not much is going to happen so i think um i think defensively and unsurprisingly under Vrabel, they're they're solid but i just don't know how good they are offensively whereas i think the daltons when particularly when aj green is fit obviously and he hasn't been recently uh you know they've got a sucker punch in them and i think uh, yeah, but you know this is what we love about the game. There, and all of these teams, you could argue for and against quite credibly whether they'll make it or not. Let's look at the defending champions, Philadelphia Eagles. What do you all think to that one? I think their season's over, and I'll tell you why. You have just played an absolutely catastrophic game where <laughs> you are the first champions out of ninety-eight 
to be beaten that badly in our regular season. And, and you, you kind of have to point at Doug Peterson for that. You, you, you have to. They were unstoppable a year ago. The Eagles won 16 out of 18 games that they they won. It's four and six, and they've lost five of their last seven games. I, I kind of am kind of confused as to where it's all gone wrong in such a quick space of time. Um, you know, Doug got the credit last year, and rightly so. That was a dream season. You even had um, Nick Foles come in and win you the Super Bowl when Wentz went down. But it's just not working, and I don't see how they're going to be able to turn it around. It's just, it, to me, it's just not clicking in any on offense or defense. It's just not working. Yeah, I agree. There, there was a play um, against the Saints that was really, really odd. They'd just gone 10, 10 zip down, and the, the first play of first and 10 is a play-action pass, and Wentz just hauls it into double coverage, and it's picked. The last thing you want to do against the New Orleans Saints is give them free possessions, and it was just a head-scratcher. I think it's all going to come down to how the players react to that game. Are they going to get mad and do something about it? Or will they just, is their season over? Where's their head at? You know, it's, uh, they've just seen Alex Smith go down for the uh, Redskins. We've spoken about how the Cowboys now have the opportunity. You know, if, if the Eagles can get it together, it's, it's open to them. But, I mean, let's remember they were known as the underdogs last playoffs for a reason, weren't they? So maybe that was right in some respects. I just, I can you see, though, do you look at that Eagles Eagles roster and go yeah those guys are going to get mad and they're going to fight back I just I don't personally I don't see it you know there's a really interesting thing about the Eagles that um I think it was OC made the point when we were doing uh doing the game earlier in the season um the Wembley game earlier in the season that people are talking about how they're fading particularly on you know the front seven and what's different I mean offensively there are obvious differences with the coaching changes in, in particular right but at the run game did they really should they have sorted that out when when JJ went down? But but people pointing to the to the defense in the front seven and saying they're not the same as last year. And Oshie was saying, well, because you look at how banged up they are, so players have to just spell for longer, right? They just got to be out there for longer. And again, when you combine that with the offense not as effective as it was last season, and you put two and two together, and and that's kind of why. And I think that's been overlooked quite a lot that the just the the injuries and the and the absences on with the front seven which was a really strong unit in terms of strength and depth and sometimes you look at the starters and, and forget about the players that are coming in and just mixing it up to give the starters a breather and when the starters have to play for that sustained period of time it's a pretty tough game it's not a surprise that they will start to tail off in the in the fourth quarter so I think that has a lot to do with it and you know the point about coaches and Carlson was making this point on the pod the other day and any team that does well is always going to start to get plundered the next season or for the next season, you know, for their coaching staff and Reich and De Filippo, but particularly Reich is, is a massive loss for them. And yeah. I think seeing that, I think it's, I think it's understandable why they're not nowhere near as good as they were last year. And also that the secondary last year was probably the one, one weak spot and it's, it's already, you know, thinner than it was yeah the whole of last year they're, they're you know they're losing guys left right and center in the back yeah. end there so yeah. that that that's also hampering them massively yeah exactly it's a good point long term also you've got to wonder if not now when because that Wentz contract's coming up fast do we do we see a, a coaching change as well on black monday like if it keeps going the way it does because no no sorry but, then, <laughs> but he won a super bowl a year ago 
and this year you could now be on the brink of history again by becoming one of the worst Super Bowl teams ever a year later. I, th- I think you I think you have to give him one one more year uh, because I think the Super Bowl, rightly or wrongly, a Super Bowl nearly always buys a coach a, a sort of I wouldn't say a free season, but if they have a bad season, what with the Super Bowl hangover stuff, free agency, and like Nat said, with the coaching changes and that, it, the disruption is is almost in, inevitable. And I think it kind of buys a, a Super Bowl winning coach sometime, which I think it will do with Peterson. Now, Nat, we couldn't possibly have you on the podcast without quizzing you some more. Um, Duncan, I'll let you go first. Sure. Um, I was interested to know uh, what play or plays from the time you discovered the NFL really stick in your mind for, from history. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, you know, there is, I'll tell you what my earliest memory, uh, like kind of coherent memory, is the... Uh, 40, I can't, God, I can't remember which Super Bowl it was. The 49ers Super Bowl where Montana says, look, John Candy. Uh, it's the Bengals Super Bowl when they beat the Bengals. Isn't he? he drives down and they beat the Bengals, whatever that one was. Um, and just uh, I remember I, I was at that stage wasn't allowed to stay up for the game. So uh, I had to kind of discover the, you know, the Super Bowl result in the morning or often. I mean, when I was a kid, the uh, I subscribed to First Down newspaper which i always remind carlson of <laughs> and uh was trying to it was reading that when other kids are reading match and shoot in the in the playground and that was uh, you know pre-internet the real source of, of info the only source of info really um but I, but that was my earliest super bowl memory and just it, not so much a play but a moment um one of the things that sticks in my head is um the uh, a celebration or two celebrations the joe horn uh, phone celebration, which is brilliant to see Michael Thomas replicate this yeah. season. I absolutely love that as well. Um, and a nod to that. And then Ocho Cinco in my first season, uh, or Chad Johnson, as he was known then, the first season of doing uh, NFL on Channel 5, uh, his Hall of Fame celebration after his touchdown, those where he ran to the sidelines and they had this makeshift Hall of Fame jacket, um, which was which was extraordinary. So it, moments like that kind of stand out. Play's got so many to mention. I mean, the Saints onside kick in the Super Bowl is probably, for yes. me, the most startling play. You know, just watching it and thinking, That's what the mind. hell did I just see? Um, you know, God, but God, great question, man. Lot, lots and lots. But those are kind of a few different memories that kind of stick out for different reasons. So I was lucky I, enough, actually, just on that, I was lucky enough to interview Montana and it was quite jammy because I was doing it was at the tailgate um, was the first interview that I was hosting that out, you know, the kind of outdoors tailgate at Wembley. And then he was a guest on when I was doing Channel 4 coverage. And it's, you, you know, you guys have interviewed players and coaches. And if you're lucky enough to meet them a couple of times in quite quick succession, the second interview is always much looser. And, you know, because I worked with him and he was on stage and we recreated the catch. I mean, God, there's another incredible play, right? So we recreated the catch. Um, and... Uh, and then, uh, and I mentioned, and I told him pretty much what I just told you guys about, God, I remember as a kid and I fell in love with this strange game. And I just remember this clip of you pointing like in the most high pressured situation possible. Like, Oh, look, there's John Candy. And, uh, we, we kind of laughed about it. So then I thought, okay, I could probably go there. And on the, in, on TV, on the interview, I asked him his favorite John Candy film and, and, and suggested Uncle Buck, which I think might be mine. Uh, and he went plays, trains, and automobiles. So, nice. uh, yeah, which I is love, a, a Uncle Buck is my favorite. Oh, I'm with you on that. I love Uncle so Buck. So good. 
<laughs> love Joel Candy from Scott. Uh, the other thing, actually, another the play that occurred to me from, I guess, more recently is that is the Minnesota Miracle from last season because I came home having done an earlier game on radio and turned it on uh, and, and watched the, the kind of final stage of the game. And one of my kids woke up uh, in the, you know, had a bad dream or whatever and came downstairs and I said, oh, come on, come and sit with daddy and we'll, we'll watch this for a bit. And that was the first five to ten minutes of football that they consciously <laughs> consciously watched and so they think that every game is like that now and um, <laughs> uh we have to bring it back down to earth a little bit being a dolphins fan that's not going to be that's not going to be hard to be honest but yeah that would that has to be in there as well that was incredible so how did your um career progress from stand-up comedy to presenting nfl on channel five with mike carlson yeah well i did so i did start out as a stand-up that's right and it's, it's a kind of interesting it's really helped me, I think, because I probably I did it for four or five years and I'm always kind of a little bit uh, reluctant to say, hey, I was a comedian, because I guess the best example or comparison I can give is uh, it's like I played at the college level. Right. And I guess to a reasonable degree at the college level, like I, I, I did stand up for four or five years. I got signed by an agent. I was doing, you know, 20 minute sets professionally doing TV appearances. So, you know, I did OK with it. But, you know, uh, real comedians that have a, a body of work much longer than that they're doing longer sets and you know i was part of a of a crew like uh that uh people like uh greg davis and rob gilbert and um simon amstel and that generation we were all sort of coming through at the same time all great comics and without being self-deprecating I, I i realized i wasn't i could hold my own and uh but i loved it um but i didn't i realized that it's not what i wanted to do and um presenting was what i wanted to do and sports in particular and it was a lucky break really i, I kind of walked stood back from stand-up and it gave me a lot of grounding doing live stuff i mean when you're when you're starting in an open mic environment you know my first gig was at brunel university on a saturday night in front of student union you know you uh you, you learn to think on your feet quite quickly and so in some respects i was prepared for doing um you know live stuff but nothing prepares you for doing live telly i, I got a screen test and um, you know, it was a dream because, you know, it's a game I've loved since I was a kid. So that really helped. I think that they, what I was lacking in uh, technique at the time, I <laughs> made up for in, in passion for the game. And I think that counted for a lot. And, uh, and I was, you know, they took a chance on me and I got the gig and, you know, that late night, those late night years were brilliant. And, you know, the first year was a real baptism of fire and I was pretty rubbish and uh it was learning as i was going as i was going along um but the one thing i guess that really helped as well was was you know connecting with mike in in that kind of odd couple way that, that we do and uh um you know that's that's only got stronger and stronger and we're really you know outside of the stuff on screen you know we're good friends and we're you know completely different people in in so many ways but then we share a lot of the same interests and not just football but you know mike is such a brilliant mind on virtually anything but you know you talk to him about literature or, or film uh politics you know he's just such an interesting guy so it was great and i've been really lucky to have worked with people like him and all the guys behind the scenes as well that that uh go into making making the stuff it's just i've been you know blessed that it's just such a good crew all along the way and you know sometimes you have to pinch yourself and think i'm getting paid to cover football but uh you know it's um yeah it's been uh it's been it's been great but that was the transition so kind of uh you know getting a break being in the right time the right pace but 
you know, grafting to, uh, you know, once, uh, you know, to get there in the first place, I guess. But once I got there to make sure that I didn't take it lightly. I think I speak for everyone. I say we miss the show and especially Mike's shirts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, they don't translate as well on radio, do they? And he has to behave himself when he's doing the the BBC games. Oh, no, it was was a great time. And, you know, I um, we talked to a lot of people who I think found the game through that show. And it's from a broadcasting point of view. I mean, it was. It would be overstating it to say it was unique, but it was quite uh, unusual in that we could, because we're on late night and there was this cult thing, and in the sense that we were all part the cult being us and the, and and all the the fans of the NFL, right? Not so much the show. Yeah. Um, as this game that was kind of our game, right? And but at the same time, we could because it was two in the morning, come back and say, out of every series of The Wire, which was your favourite? theme tune <laughs> just talk about that for three minutes and and we get away with that as well and it just all seemed to make sense whereas if you think about that not many uh shows give you that kind of license so it was um it was great and uh yeah it, it was a good run for sure um but it's just good that you know we're uh involved in lots of uh, other things and different formats and you know it just keeps on rolling absolutely and before we let you go Nat. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about what's coming up next for you. Obviously, you've got your own podcast, um, The NFL Show, which is, by the way, a favourite of mine. Um, and I suppose, will you be heading to Atlanta for the Super Bowl? Yeah, we certainly will. We're going to be out there um, out there all week, I think, uh, which is exciting. So, yeah, the pod, um, we launched this season. And, you know, I, again, that was, I was doing, I still do the live coverage with TalkSport and we were doing a, a weekly radio show on on Talksport. On top of that, for the last couple of years, and uh, we decided to kind of take it out and make it as an indie, which is what I'm doing uh, with a, a, a gang of a guys, some of whom have worked on NFL before. Andrew Willis, who produced Jason Onosi and Chappers on their highlight show for a few years, and Pete Thomas, who's um, produced us back in the day on Channel Four. Um, so it's a really good crew there. And so we got, um, you know, we're learning more and more about the podcast world as i'm sure you guys are and uh uh you know doing uh, all kinds of stuff with it but it's going it's going fairly well and you know we are we're going to be out in a in atlanta all week making shows and we're doing video content and and then i'll be doing the game live for for radio so yeah looking can't wait for that and, and while i'm always disappointed that we're getting to what week 12 and mm. starting to get quite melancholic about that uh yeah there's always the super bowl to look forward to absolutely I can't say I'm not jealous. I was going to say, what what stadium as well, though? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, the, the last one, the Minnesota Stadium, was incredible. The acoustics, everyone had told me about this. And we got there relatively early to set up, because you know, I was doing that, that game for radio as well. And uh, so we were on air relatively early and I had to set everything up and everything else. So we were maybe about 10% full w- with fans coming in as well. Mm. And even when it was only 10% full, you, the sound was oh my god and when it was rammed that you had philly fans who were just hardcore it was incredible i mean the acoustics are amazing these new stadiums the acoustics are just you know something else excellent stuff well that's all for this week's show huge thanks nat for playing along and of course to christian scotland williamson for taking time out of his schedule to chat to us as always, please do share your thoughts with us on Twitter. We'd love to know the team's season you believe is over and why. You can tweet us at 99yards. And don't forget to join us next week where we'll be interviewing Indianapolis Colts safety, Corey Moore. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.
a little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.